Gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Music the Lifeblood, where we always like to do something old, something new. I'm your very humble host, Dustin. This week, it's an extra special, ultra mega edition of Music the Lifeblood. Why? Because Arthur Googie King, that's why. Arthur fronts a badass New York punk rock man called The Noise, as well as his impressive lineage from his time as the drummer for the Misfits during the Walk Among Us and Evil Live era of the band in the early 80s. I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to speak at length with Arthur about his music career, his time in the Misfits, punk rock, and everything that's happening with the noise currently. It was a great conversation, and speaking personally, it's another one of those items I get to check off my 15-year-old Dustin list. Stick around, because simply put, Arthur's a badass. But first, I want to let everyone know that this episode of Music the Lifeblood is sponsored by one of the last standing tall and proud Great American Record Stores, Indie CD and Vinyl, located at 806 Broad Ripple Ave in the ultra-happening Broad Ripple neighborhood of Indianapolis, Indiana. They're easily my favorite Midwestern record store. Tons of new and used vinyl and a bunch of other audio obsessed goodies. Check them out on Facebook at Indie CD and Vinyl and remember to spell that I N D Y or at www.indiecdandvinyl.com. I've met and chatted quite a bit with their owners, Andy and Annie. They're great people, and if you're in the Indianapolis area, make sure you stop in to Indie CD and Vinyl. Now, let's get on with the show. And remember, this whole episode, we're going to be featuring songs from Arthur's band, The Noise, and their self-titled debut album. You can find it at thenoiseny.com or on Facebook at thenoiseNYC, and it's available to stream on SoundCloud as well up first this is my favorite song off the album this is george musa on bass brian goss on guitar tom goss on drums and the man himself arthur googie king laying it down on the vocals this is the noise with climb out
Arthur, thanks for being on the show, man. It's good to talk to you. Oh, thank you. Arthur, I want to talk about the noise because uh, this is this is a record I've kind of jumped on in the last month or so. I absolutely love the sort of New York, New York flair that it has to it. And I'm interested in, obviously, you guys are a bunch of veteran cats, you know, Warzone, you coming from the Misfits, you know, Dripping Goss, a lot of bands like that. How did this band come together, especially after this, you know, amount of time? You guys have been around doing stuff for such a long time. Well, um, I was friends with Brian, and, uh, uh, you know, Everyone has their own different story of how it came about, and, and George is very pivotal. But I was friends with Brian, and he was playing with Billy Victor from television and George Musa, you know, from House Kitchen. Right. He, he's like a really good bass player. Uh, they, they made some music, and Brian kind of put together a song, you know? And Brian had did the artwork on one of my records. Like, I made like three or four... And, like records by myself, you know, I made CPs, but they never went anywhere. And uh, he did the artwork on, we did a barter system. And I did some shells for him, and he did my artwork for my record. But on that record, uh, Up and Running, I um, was the singer, and he asked me to sing on a song, Save You at Night, this song that he had made. So I went down to his house, and I sang on the song. You know, and then uh, George who he was playing with, got all these hookups in uh, Germany and all over Europe, and he sent the song to this label, and they liked it. Just the one song. And then, uh, uh-oh, they wanted to put out an album, right? So here we go. You know, put the cop before the horse. And then we got together and we said, okay, let's 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 do this, you know. Let's make a record and let them put it out. That's how it kind of happened. You know, to Brian and George. Nice. Really, you know, with the first drummer, but then we went to drummers real quick. Uh, like drummers are hot. <laughs> That's it. Seems to be a punk. No, rock. I'm a drummer. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. Know. It seems to be a punk rock thing. You go through them like you do uh, tissue paper. No, but I think drummers are, are very grounded people. Like they didn't write the song. They might not get publishing, but they're playing kick-ass drums and uh, making the band sound great. So after a little while, if you're not getting paid as a drummer. You know, because drummers are like pretty much work the working guy. Sure. You know, they kind of move on. They got to get paid. You know. Right. It's a it's a working class kind of vibe to to the whole album. I think. Oh, completely, one hundred percent. All of us had jobs and went to rehearsal at night, and we're still I'm still hanging on to my job because you know people go, oh, how come you don't do this full time? And I say, yeah, we got hookups in Germany and Austria and stuff. But nobody knows us in America, and it's a business. Now it's a business thing sure. that's going on, that we need to get a booking agent that books the shit out of us. And then if I can have 250 shows in one year, I'll, I'll quit my job and do it full-time. You know, like I go to Germany, and they go, oh, you, you don't do it full-time. I go, I do my life full-time, you know? And the music is full-time, but to a certain extent, you know, you know I'm a grown man, so... You know, I just can't go unless there's something to go for. You know what I mean? Right, right. You know what I mean? Like, like, like the German label wants to put out a second album, and I'm telling the right in the band. Germany and Austria know about this record, and uh, maybe uh, whatever these companies got over there, a couple of countries. But the rest of the world hasn't heard this, and this has to get get, get out there. You right. Know? This, this has to, this CD, I can't. Not let you know this has to get out there before I go on to the next record with anybody. You sure, know? right. I got I got to I got to come to Indiana and fucking play, man. <laughs> go there, play the fucking shows. There's a there's a hopping scene here as far as Indianapolis goes. It's a lot of metal, but there's you know there's a lot of punk rock too. But it's a good scene here, especially for the Midwest. No, listen. When you when you leave the major cities in America, the major cities like L.A., New York, Boston, Frisco. And you leave those cities. The scenes in these little towns and cities are fucking happening. Kids are into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not just the big cities, you know, because sometimes you go to the big cities and everybody's so fucking cool, you know? But when I, when I was used to do shows like with the Misfits back in the day, shit, half the town would come out, you know? I'd be like, this is fucking great. 
I think there's, I think as far as smaller town America goes, when you have something that's, I guess, from the city, there's a little more of an appreciation for it. Well, it's the opposite in this world, you know? Things are the opposite, you know what I'm saying? I don't know how to explain that to you, but I, I feel things work in, uh, they work themselves out. You know what I mean? Like, when you live in a small place that's quiet, like say I'm out in the backyard right now in Long Island having a cup of tea, you appreciate, like, busy art and crazy music because you want a little of that. But when you're in the city all the time, you kind of want peaceful art and fucking folk music. Because <laughs> it's so noisy and crazy. Right. It's like you want the opposite, you know? Right. There's uh, Speaking of the city, because there's something lyrically, you guys have a song called Leave My City Alone. Uh, yeah. I used to go to the mom and pops. Now you've got shit like stop and shop. Uh, you're talking about gentrification, you know, urban sprawl, that sort of thing. Is that yeah. as far as where you're coming from, New York wise, East Coast? I mean, is it is it a draft drastically different kind of city vibe in New York now than what it used to be? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and, and you know, it's kind of like when you write a song. You you write the song, but then when you look back on it, you could look you could go at it both ways, negatively and positively. You know what I mean? In your own mind, like me. So um, you know, like leave my city, like I own the city. You know what I mean? But I'm just saying, you know, it gets to the point. Like when I go to Europe, there's a lot of old mixed with the new, and it's really nice to go. America is a new place, so things that are 200 years old. And a hundred years old, a lot of it, especially in New York, a lot of it got all torn out, and these big massive buildings got put up all over the place. Now they're even going over to Williamsburg, so all the kids are hanging out in Bushwick, you know. Right. So, you know, it always, you know, the gentrification is fine, you know, they're cleaning it up, but hey, invest in the schools, invest in the art, invest in the kids, and, and uh, you know, the rents go up, you know. So the all the you know the kids that are working class that come from all over the world to live in New York, they gotta live in the outskirts a little bit now because first of all they've made their own scene. You know, I was there last night in Bushwick and it's fucking rocking. You know, so you know, you know, it is different, man. It's completely different. Good or bad, you know, but uh, unless we tear everything down, you know. Can we keep some of the stuff and keep neighborhoods? Like, you know, now in New York City, you got Starbucks, CVS, you know. You know, they've made the rent so high that there's no more, like, mom-and-pop delis and drugstore. And, you know, you knew the people's names, you know. There was all little neighborhoods put together to make a city. Now it's like, you know, corporate America just fucking took the fuck over. Right. Cut down all the trees in the world to... to, to, to to graze cattle and you didn't realize like holy shit we needed those trees to make the shade and to hold the moisture in and to give us fresh air you know <laughs> right right is there is there a single event in your life that's kind of pushed you towards feeling that way about everything or has it just been a cumulative thing over the years yeah i guess it's a cumulative you know uh, you know i guess you know uh no there's not one point you know it, you know, because I, you know, I, I'm also a hypocrite too, because I run buildings. You know. Oh, you do like what, like property management? Yeah, the, or the, yeah, my living. You know, like in New York City, I'm a superintendent. You know, and I run a painting business that paints apartments in these buildings. You know what I mean? Oh, cool. So, okay. Right. Right. Gotcha. You gotcha. know. So, so, you know, I'm also playing the game. You know, and also. So. <laughs> right. Right. You know, I'm just, uh, you know, in that song, leave my city. You know, I just feel like, you know, I'm a, I was born and raised in a, in a, one of the five boroughs of New York City. You know, I'm a New Yorker, you know, and uh, which is becoming rare because a lot of people like my father came from Ireland. You know, people come from all over the world. So, you know, and then, you know, just the steamrolling of progression, you know, like this. There's some things that you should really keep, you know, like... Uh, Preserved, you know, preserved, I guess, you know. Right, right. Like historian stuff. Right. 
verse from one of your songs. Uh, quote, feel like I'm working like a jerk. My back's sore, my fingers hurt, but I need the dough. That's the way it go. I got to pay the bills and I got to eat. If I don't, I'll be out on the street. A starving man, no one gives a damn. There must be something more to this. That's from your song, More to This. Yeah. This is working class, like, to the core, man, is... How how do you balance? How do you balance now? You have such a such a rich heritage as far as like punk rock goes, you know, all the way back to the Misfits. You're doing the noise now. How do you balance life and band creativity and you know the demands of life at the same time? Well, you know, unlike a lot of people in the, uh, you know, you live your life. You know, like I always, even when I was in the Misfits, like I was a kid. I keep going back to that because it's the same thing. Like, you work. You know, you have a job, you go to work. But you do the art because you love it. So at night, you'll go rehearse with a band. And then maybe Friday or Saturday night, you do a show. You know, if it's local, any night. You know, if, if there's a show in New York on a Tuesday, I could do it. I live there, you know? Sure. You know, and in the surrounding areas, I could do any time, you know? So you do the art because you love it. And then, then there's a, a point where you, a lot of guys, they have kids and they grow up and they go, oh, okay, I got this job, I got to pay the bills, you know? Because if I don't pay this rent, they're throwing my ass on the street, you know what I mean? Right. So there is a lot. I just happen to, we, you know, I tell people, we all go to work, right? You got your job, you got the Comcast, right? Everyone goes to work. But what do you do? What's your hobby? Do you have any hobbies? Because I like people with hobbies. You know, they exercise, they play music. So a lot of people do a couple of different things. You know, people read. People without hobbies scare me, you know? I'm like, what do you do besides work? You know, because life is not all working to pay the bills. You know, some guys do their art, and they made a lot of money from early in their life, and they get to do their art, you know, and they get paid big money for it, and that's wonderful. But most artists, probably 95%, never get paid <laughs> and they just do it because they love it you know right <laughs> how does anybody balance it you know you know what I'm saying so, I don't know I don't know everyone has their own different way of how they balance that you know right so I mean we just did some shows in LA and I met some great like you know like East LA like Mexican American kids that was so fucking and you know they're playing music and fucking trying to work. You know, everyone's trying to do, you know, whatever they could do, you know. Right. So does... So you can't do it anymore. You do it till you can't do it anymore. Right. So speaking of, I mean, you're talking you're talking about meeting, you know, younger younger people into the scene and stuff like that. Do you think, from your vantage point, because you're you're a veteran, man, you've been around for a little while. Do you think does punk rock and hardcore and you know all that kind of scenester stuff does it does it still mean the same thing it did thirty thirty five years ago? Listen, it's it's like angst, and it starts as like teenage angst when you're asking questions about the world. And as you get older, you still have that. You ask questions and, and, and do all this stuff. You know, like, the, you know, if you're a sane person, I guess, you know, and you got feelings. So, well, I don't know what to tell you about this, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you do what you do. Everyone just does what they do. You know, I like people that get into themselves and you ask them about something and they might not know because they're so into doing what they're doing they forgot. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I respect you know, I respect dudes that like quit music and, and go work and they're like, yo, I got a, I own a garage or like, I, I, I do this or I, I built this website, you know? And then they, they say, well, why quit? Because I had to put all my effort to get that over to where I wanted it to be, you know? And then they, they want to go back to it, you know? Right. You know? I mean, I kind of always drawn back into music for some reason, you know? I guess I like the the, the expression, you know? Sure. You know, you know? So and then once you write a song, you know, it's like, oh, shit, did I really say that? <laughs> <laughs> so how did you, how did, how did you make the switch from, from drumming to singing? You know what I mean? What was, did you just wake up one day and say, fuck it, I want to no, sing? No, 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 no. I had, I, I think, around 
1986 or 87, I walked away from music completely. I got so disillusioned with the people and the drugs and the bullshit and everyone trying to cheat, you know, that I kind of walked away and I went into the blue collar world. Sure. Like, big time, you know, because, you know, I'm, I, like I said, I run buildings, I run a business. So, um, but then around 2000, after like 14 years of not going, I had all this music in me, you know? So um, my older brother had taught me a couple of chords, and I, like bar chords and chords when I was a kid. Sure. So I, I, I went and bought an acoustic guitar, and I wrote like 40 songs, <laughs> and I recorded them. Holy shit. I, then I played them for one of my friends, and he goes, these are pretty good, you know? And then other people said, oh, these suck, you know? So I was like, all right. But the guy, one guy that said it was pretty good, we, we, had, we had a little band called Up and Running, you know? And, uh, you know, I got kind of back into it little by little, you know? Right, right. So, you know, from doing Up and Running, it led to Brian Goss and The Noise, because I knew Brian back in the day, you know? Sure. He, was, he, he, he did the artwork at Rolex, and I was like, fuck, if he does the artwork for Rolex, he could do my CD cover. <laughs> oh, nice, right on, okay. You know, he comes from Warzone, obviously. I mean that's yeah. that's a, an important band, man. You, the Warzone is on par with, you know, a lot of really really important hardcore New York bands. Do you do you ever find yourself when you get to work with you know guys from such a strong pedigree? Is, you know, is that intimidating or is it or is it you know, you know I embrace it. You know, does it help you be more creative? What's it do to you? You know, I tell you the truth, it's a real pleasure because when I first started writing songs in like two thousand. You know, I'm limited, you know, like with my chord changes and all that stuff. Sure. And I would write, and then I would get really talented musicians to help me make them better, you know? But I really sat there, like, you know, and played the rhythm, you know, and did my, and I made the song, you know? But then Brian, he's a fucking prolific songwriter, and so is George, you know what I mean? So we put together a couple of my songs, a couple of Brian's songs, a couple of George's songs, and we made a record, you know? Right. But now I'm, they're such, like, I could just suggest to them now, because they're so talented. Like, when I, when you watch Brian play, you, when we play live, right, people are blown away by Brian, you know? They're blown away. They got, this guy is freaking nasty, you know? He could play the guitar, like, 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 like ringing a bell, man. I swear to God, this guy could play. And then George is, like, the baddest bass player, like, he just keeps you right there, and you're going, holy shit. You know, I feel like these two guys are like the guys from Jane's Addiction to me. They're, they're talented, you know, like the bass, the bass player and the drummer and the guitar player of Jane's Addiction. Sure, sure. And I saw them, I went to see them like two years ago at Williamsburg outside, like by the river, in the outdoor time. It was so fucking nasty. I was like, why did these guys, you know, it must be a business reason why they, like, the difference between them and the Chili Peppers, you know? Like, the Chili Peppers just kept going. They're like the Rolling Stones, you know? Right. They snowballed into this Pearl Jam. You know, they never broke up. But it seems like Jane's Addiction kind of broke up for a while and got back together. You know what I mean? You know? But they, had, they were nasty, man. I was like, damn, they're good, you know? <laughs> what was... I mean, do you go to a lot of shows? I used to, but now, you know... You know... I I, I I I used to, but I, I kind of slowed down a little bit, tell you the truth. Is there anything, like, that really stands out? You know, you're talking about Jane's Addiction. That was an amazing show. Is there anybody else that really, really sticks out in your mind? Uh, you know, I'm so wrapped up in my own little world sometimes, you know? <laughs> right, right. I, I, I think like this. I think like this. If you're going to put a band together, right, and uh, you're going to get up there and entertain the people, right? Right. You should be good because you, you've been playing for 20 damn years. You know, even when the kids are like 18, damn, you must have been playing for six years already. Come on, you got the same rocket science, you know? So, you know, just some people are born more talented than others, but, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, well, it's funny. I, I, to me, to me, it's interesting to talk to you know to talk to somebody that that came from where you come from, from your generation, because there is such a different 
there's there's such a different way of looking at things from a modern standpoint. You know, younger bands right now. I know I know there's a solid work ethic there, but I don't know that there's sometimes I feel like there's not an appreciation for having to really pound the street to get the name of your band out there. Well, let's see. Some people make music and all the stars are lined up and the business is lined up and they really are talented and, you know, they start making a lot of money and I don't begrudge them, but then there's other people, you know, you know, I'm just a blue guy, you know, I'm not the greatest singer, you know, I was never a singer, you know, but I'm saying, I'm doing my thing, you know, it's weird, like I'm a punk rocker, but, you know, it's like everything affected me, you know, when I was a kid, I, you know, because I'm a little older, like, everything was the first, you know, like sure. when I heard that, you know, and then when I heard the first Ramones record, you know, you know, there was a, you know, a reason, like, everything got so overproduced that when I heard punk rock for the first time, I was like, yo, this is me, because... At that time, I was a kid, and I wasn't that talented, and I didn't have no record deals. You know, I'm like, fuck these old guys. I want to get up to rock, too, you know? Right, right. So, it's all about getting up and rocking, you know? I, I don't know how kids get to do it. Just get up and do it. I don't give a shit if the fucking high school Get up and rock. <laughs> <laughs> was, it, was it the first Ramones album? Or was it Rocket to Russia? Or was it Leave Home? Which album? Oh no, was it? no! It was the first Ramones album I bought. I'm gonna tell you one story. I used to go to Alexander's and buy records when I was a kid. You know, it was on Queens Boulevard. I lived in Jackson Heights, Queens, and we'd take the bus up and go buy records. So I bought the Ramones record, and when I got home, the record was warped. Oh no! Shit. They... No, listen, listen. The record was warped. So I put the record on the turntable and I fucking put it on. The needle, like a Girard turntable, and uh, my brother, and my brother's looking at me like I'm a retard, you know? And I said, listen, he says, it's warped. And we're listening and the fucking needle is jumping. I said, no, that's punk rock. <laughs> I love my brother, it's supposed to be like that. He goes, you're an asshole. Go back to the store and get one that's not warped. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, that's punk rock. They don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs>
been to The Clash? Did you like them at all? Oh, Clash was my favorite band. If you ask me what was my favorite band of my life, I was a Who and Zeppelin fan, more leaning towards the Who when I was like 14, 15, 12, you know? I loved the Who and Zeppelin. And, uh, you know, and I before that, I loved the Beatles and the Stones, right? But then The Clash came out. Of all the bands, you know, I loved the Sex Pistols, right? I loved the Ramones. But The Clash, they had the Stones, and he had those beautiful melodies that, Take a fucking play, you know. Right. I like the jam too, you know. But I thought they was like Paul Weller was a little arrogant, you know. I thought that the Clash would just spit it out, you know, blue collar style, you know. Right. With some beautiful melodies. You got a favorite album? No, because they only made the five albums, and they're all great. What, what's favorite? They want one, you know. The first one was tremendous. Then they came out with the second one. Oh fuck! And then I went to see them at Beacon Theater. They waited. They didn't come on the first record. You know, they came on the second record to America. So the hype was huge. They played, uh, where did they play? I saw them on 14th Street. What was the name of that? Uh, the Palladium they played. And that was like 3,000 seat arena. Huh? Wow. So their hype was built when they came. Uh, uh, I, the Combat Rock is an amazing album. It's they're, they're all amazing. Come on, they're all amazing. They evolved. They were prolific. You know, when they were like writing, you know, a, a single album, a single album, a double album, a triple album. You know, and then the you know then the last one. You know, so they put out somebody of work. That's a better guy that it, You know, right? I think I think it's awesome. I think it's amazing to talk about you know the stuff that really struck a chord with you. Very, very early Well, on. a lot of stuff struck the chord. There's so many great bands. I mean, Circle Jerk struck the chord with me. You know what I mean? When That influenced me when I was in Antidote. You know what I mean? After the Misfits. Right. So, and going with the Misfits and seeing all these towns with all these bands, like, you know, the, the kids were so into it, you know. Um, you know, just, you know, it's a, big, it's a big, big world. And there's a lot of kids really sincere and they really love the music. You know? Right. Right, you played on Walk Among Us. Obviously, it's it's the it's one of the big Misfit albums. Obviously, um, as, as far as the original run of the band goes, do you is there anything you know? Because you guys you guys went from one side of the country to the other, you know, torn on that. Is there anything that sticks out in your mind as far as when you were recording that album? Is there any standout moments you know in the studio or tracking anything? Yeah, I have one little funny moment. <laughs> we were in. A town called Boonton, Boonton, New Jersey, or Boonton, or Boonton. It's in the ass end of Jersey, all the way, you know, you're almost in Pennsylvania. And we were recording. And we're in there. And we're hearing this buzz. Like, we couldn't start recording because there's this buzz, you know? <laughs> right. So, like, for like an hour, everyone's looking around. What's going on? What's going on? I go over and I turn off the air conditioner and the buzz stops. <laughs> and I says to the guy, I says, you put the air conditioner on the same plug-in uh, circuit breaker as you have all your equipment? He goes, yeah. I go, what are you, stupid? <laughs> so we had to record in the heat. <laughs> it got hot. You know, and that was the buzz. I was like, fuck, that had to be the buzz, the AC. <laughs> That's awesome. But, you know, in any interview, I would like to say this because I wanted to get out to the world, you know. There's a lot of stuff. I don't really, you know, for a long, long time, I never signed an autograph because um, I wanted to encourage kids. Like, I'm I'm nobody, you know. Everybody, you should go play an instrument and, and do it yourself, you know. And then only recently, like, when I was doing the noise and traveling, that I said, you know, I'll sign autographs. It don't matter. I don't want to get into it, you know. But it wasn't a mean-spirited thing that I didn't sign. It was, I just thought it was punk rock. Like, hey, go learn how to play guitar. You could do this, too. I'll play the drums, sing, you know. Hit a garbage can. That's music, too, you know. So uh, I wanted to say that. And then another thing about the Misfits was that people think, oh, it's like um, there was bad blood and all this stuff. And, you know, at the time, maybe, because you're like, got this blue-collar angst and you want things to happen quicker than they ever did. Right. But in retrospect, I thought Glenn was like, you know, and is like kind of like a very clever and, and a tremendous singer. And I should have stuck with that band, you know. 
You know, we should have stuck it out, you know. We would have been opening up for Metallica and all these people, you know what I'm saying? Right. So, you know, I have no bad feelings. I'm so happy that I did that because it changed my life. It made me see that you could really travel around in a band and make, you know, make a living if you want to do that. Right. You know. And it's not a thing. It's not like I don't want to be rich or anything, but you kind of have to, you know, if I'm, if I'm on the road, then I'm not somewhere else taking care of my business, you know what I mean? Right, right. So if I'm going to make the road my business, you kind of have to make a little bit so all four guys just live a little, you know, future, you know. Right. So any any thoughts on, I mean, obviously most people know that the, the reunion is happening now. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you, what do you think? Uh, you know, I haven't talked to anybody directly and no one has just called me and, uh, you know, I, I kind of wished I, I, I was to come on that because, uh, you know, I was, I made those songs, you know, I, those are my drum parts that I made up, but it's okay, you know, if that's what they need to do, then that's what they need to do. I'm going to be in Germany at that time, you know, doing shows with noise, so, you know, that's okay, but I would have liked to have rehearsed with them a little bit and, uh, you know, maybe two weeks and then go through the shows, you know, that would have been nice. You know, and you know whatever gripe you know Glenn has against me, you know, hey, you know, I know it's not Jerry and Doyle because they did it. You know, we was always all right. So you know, I, I wish Glenn the best, and I, I thought he was talented, and I thought he was a great guy, and we left on a bad note, me and him. But you know, in retrospect, I think you know I got to give props for props to do, man. He wrote those songs, he sang those songs, he's a clever guy, he made his life, man. You know, he made music his life. You know, he does way bigger shows than I'm, nobody even knows about. But they will. If we keep playing and we're good, when we show up to your town and we're good, then people will buy the CD or the T-shirt and come back to the show. And maybe we could exist, you know. You coming in from the Irish Riviera. You take the A to the A. This album is it is incredible. 
It it is absolutely incredible. And I like one of the there it's just one of the weirdest things when you get like New York street punk and then all of a sudden you get a little bit of reggae thrown in there. I thought that was I I thought that was one of the best surprises on that entire album. Yeah, you know when I yeah. well we all got reggae influences. I mean, come on, if somebody says they didn't listen to Bob Marley, then I I got I got to say, you know, you you're lying to me right now. You didn't <laughs> tap your foot to Bob Marley. Something inherently wrong with you. <laughs> There's so many different vibes, you know, like, especially being from New York. You know, I hear Spanish music, and I hear, uh, you know, and I, you know, I want to speak freely. I don't want to, uh, you know, I, I love, like, you know, it's with, you know this guy Rob Thomas? No, uh, who, who is it? Well, he put out this one song. He, he's a guy from one of these bands, these big bands, you know, like very commercial. But he added like a Spanish vibe to one of his songs, and I was like, that's fucking cool. You know? I, li- I like these little things, you know. But, you know, it's a catch-22 also because when we made the record, we modified a lot of stuff to make it like kind of punk rock with a little reggae in it, sure. you know, instead of a reggae. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, because... You know, we're trying to, like, I don't know, like, we're trying to get known uh, as a certain type of band so people will come out and see us, you know what I'm saying? So, but, uh, you know, everyone's influences, I mean, you know, George and these guys, I could play any kind of music, you know, that's such a talented tale. Why do you think, why do you think reggae comes up, especially with, it just pops up? Probably because of the Bad Brains, you know, we were all big Bad Brains fans, so, and, uh. You know, and, and uh, <clears throat> you know, like, another band, I got to say, was um, the Dickies. Remember the Dickies? Sure, yeah, yeah. And I like, yeah, like, when I heard that, I was like, holy shit. And then I heard the Bad Brains, they were like, they were like the Dickies, they were so good, but then they did record too, and I was like, oh, that's fucking beautiful. <laughs> did you ever make it down to D.C.? Back in the day, did you ever? Yeah, go? I used to yeah. play at the nine thirty club. I, I played shows with Doc and Bad Brains. My other band, Up and Running, played a big show down at DC with them. You know, like ten years ago. Cool. The D- I always there's as far as like punk punk rock history goes. Obviously, there's I mean the New York history is rich. You know the Ramones, Television, Richard Hell, all those mans. But the DC scene was much more aggressive. In my, oh, the in DC. My, Scene is tremendous. Are you kidding me? The fucking all the bands that Henry Rollins, you got uh, Ian McKay, you know, Minor Threat. There was a whole fucking huge scene, and you know. And then you want to hear a funny DC thing? Scream, you know, Scream that band. Yeah, Dave Grohl's old band. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you know, Anato, my old band Anato, right? Right. I, I started that band after the Misfits Anato. We were playing at a place called Gildersleeves, like a block up from uh, CBGB's. And it was Antidote was the headline. And Scream was the warm-up band. And then there was a band warming them up, you know? And it was Dave Grohl on the drums. They were warming up Antidote. <laughs> I thought that was funny, you know? That's, now look at this day. The DC scene, what, uh, why, do you think, why do you think as far as versus New York, it seems like to me the DC scene was much more aggressive. Why do you think there was a difference? Well, because around D.C. also you have a big military and government complex, you know, and a lot of those kids are the kids of those people, you know? Like, you know, when you go to D.C. area, you got people live in Virginia, they all work for the government or the army or somebody, and their kids and their kids grew up making his music, you know? You know, I think even Bad Brains, I think Daryl and uh, uh, H.R. and 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 and, and, and uh, his brother, the drummer, Earl, I think their father was a military guy. You know? You know, it's the business around there. You know what I mean? Like, New York, you got art, and you got fashion, and you got, you know, all these garment business. That's all going away now, but when I was young, and in D.C., you had, like, it's like the kids from Palo Alto. You know, all those kids, that like Microsoft, and all those guys, like uh, the guy that owned Mac. Sure. They were the sons and daughters. Palo Alto, you know, and and uh, Stanford, uh, Stanford, out there. They um, 
all those people worked for, like they had military contracts, duties and all that. So it was natural that the, the kids were very smart. They came from that area and they created that whole Silicon Valley shit, you know? Same thing in D.C. All those kids are like the kids of military and politicians. And and even if they're not, their friends are, you know what I mean? They know about it. It's the business at hand, you know? Right. So what's, uh, you You know, you talk, Paulo Atal, you talk about the California scene. Uh, you you were you got to go to L.A. smack dab in the kind of hardcore explosion that happened, you know, late 70s, early 80s. You got to spend time around the guys in Black Flag. You know, the circle jerks were out there, that sort of thing. What was what was the vibe like in L.A. at that time? Oh, L.A. was a whole other trip because L.A. is like 52 suburbs. Like I said, looking for a city. So they got all the different police force. L.A. was very much like a, you know, people are separated by space mm. where they don't rub shoulders. Like black people live where black people live. Spanish people live where they live. White people. It's very segregated, L.A. Like, it's not like New York where we all rub shoulders every day. We get on the subway. We fucking take the bus. We ride our bike. Take our, you know? Right. All day long, we're integrated into New York, Boston. But in places like L.A., it's spread out. It's like Long Island. So, you know, when I first got there, I remember, I think, I think it was X, who's playing at Irving Plaza, I think, uh, this weekend. Somebody asked me if I wanted to go. I think it's X. I'm not sure. One of these shows, the cops were there with helicopters outside the whiskey. Like, we had, the mistress had just arrived, and we were driving, like, to our hotel or our house where we were staying to do shows the next night. And we were like, what's going on? And they were like, oh, the cops are breaking up this show, and they had helicopters and fucking riot gear. And I was like, for a bunch of kids? You know? I just thought it was a police day, and I was like, why don't these kids go home and tell their parents to stop paying fucking tax until they fucking sure they get her out? Because really, do we pay tax, and the cops work for us, so these kids can't go to a fucking punk rock show. What's the big deal? You know? You know what I mean? It's just music. It's just, you know, each generation has their own music that the other generation doesn't understand. <laughs> you know? And some do and some don't. You know? So it's weird. L.A. was weird like that, you know? But, you know, L.A. is also a great place for music because when you come from places that are spaced out, hey, you got a lot of time to fucking rehearse. When it's boring, those bands are good because they rehearse the shit out of their stuff. You know? You know, when you got space, like in Long Island or L.A., you know what I mean? You got backyards, you got garages, hey. Probably you got Sam Ash up the block. (laughs) (laughs) Right right on. You know, people complain, oh, it sucks where I live. Hey, it sucks. Fucking go rehearse the shit out of your band for six months and take it around the world, and your life will stop sucking. (laughs) You know, it's funny. You mentioned the the rehearsing side of things. There's... There's a there's a famous quote from Jerry Only talking about you uh, during your time in the band that your work ethic had a ton to do with how well rehearsed the band was during the Walk Among Us period. And there's an awesome quote from Bobby Steele too. Now I know you were only you you and Bobby were only in the band a very very short time, um, but Bobby said he always seemed to be the kind of guy that set his mind to something. He does it great. He does a great job at it. That's it. And that sort of that hammer, you know, jackhammer style of rehearsing, making sure that you got everything hashed out. Does does that still work for you today in the noise, or are you guys veteran enough of players that you can rehearse a little bit less and you know focus on life, or do you still go as hard at it? No, we're like when we got shows, we go and we rehearse because you gotta you gotta. I ain't walking on no stage unless I'm going to You know, I'm call, these people are paying to come see the band. Right. So you better fucking come with your shit. You know what I mean? Right. This is hard, hard-earned money. People coming up for a night out to have a good time. Who wants to go see some fucking drug addict or some motherfucker that doesn't come and bring it? You know? Right. It's okay. I, I'm not saying just smoke whatever you want, drink whatever you want, but when it's showtime, you know, snap out of it. Come on. There's a show here, and these people paid, and you, you got, you know... It's working class, you know, like, you, you, you got to bring it, you know, that's it, you know. 
I would be embarrassed, you know, if, if, I, if I didn't give my all, you know. We talked a little bit about Walk Among Us. Uh, there's an incident in night in April of, I believe it was 1983, 82 or 83, I believe, is when you guys were out in San Francisco. There was there was a fight that happened, um, and the story is that the fight ended with Doyle breaking a guitar over uh, some kid's head from the San Francisco crowd. There's not a lot of details about it. I've heard, you know, Jerry talk about it once. I've heard Doyle talk about it once. But I was curious to get your perspective of it. What happened that night? Do you remember? No, I, I didn't know exactly what happened. You know, it's kind of it was kind of my fault because we were the headline band, Kennedy. It was like eight bands. There was a lot of people there, and um. No, it was the first time we were playing. I think it was, no, it was the second time we played out there. And um, there was a kid, but I didn't like the audience standing there. We started playing, and the kid took a full fucking can of Budweiser. You know, he had a full can, and it was closed. It wasn't even open. Like, he was, he meant to do this. He fucking threw it at me and nailed me right in the fucking head. It's like almost knocked me off the drum chair, you know, the riser, you know? And I watched him do it, you know what I mean? Like, I watched this kid do it. So the band was playing. It was the first song. And, uh, so, you know, when somebody fucking hits you and you see it, like, if I didn't see where it came from, I would be like, oh, fuck, it's going to be brutal, you know? But when I see the person, I just put my drumsticks down on the tom-tom and I fucking marched over to the edge of the stage and I jumped in and I started pounding his ass. You know, fuck you. Fucking hit me with a bear can. You think that's punk rock? You fucking piece of shit. And then all the people around him jumped on me. You know? So we were with, we were with Henry Rollins and Earl from Saccharine Trust and Kenny, their brother Kenny Schlock. Mm-hmm. And so it was the four guys in the band and the three, the three there were seven of us. And, uh, you know, so they started jumping on me, and me, but I'm pounding this. And then all, you know, through the crowd came Earl and Kenny, Kenny's football player from New Jersey, and they parted the sea, and they came down. Well, Doyle was only 17 years old, and he got nervous, you know what I mean? It's me and his brother Kenny and Earl from in the pit fighting with everybody, which... You know, in retrospect, I should have just took the hit and kept playing, you know, because there's too many people here and you're going to start a riot, you know what I mean? I didn't didn't think of that. I was too stupid. I was only 19. You know, Doyle was 17 years old, you know? So when when the shit just broke loose right in front of him, he took off his guitar and I guess he swung it, you know, and caught some kid in the head or something, you know? And then, you know, the cops came and it was weird because the cops... They were so against the punk rock kids that they were clearing the fucking place, you know? But before that even happened, those kids jumped up on that stage. Like, we all got up to the dressing room, and they were, like, they were like destroying our equipment. And we, that was the first show of that tour, you know? So we needed to go back down there and fucking save our equipment. It was, it was really nasty, you know? And, you know, I, I should have just took the beer can hit and just kept playing and... and, and that wouldn't happen, but I did something stupid, and then everything stupid happened after that, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doyle, 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 you know, got a heart of cold, man. He wouldn't want to hurt somebody, you know? Bad thing, you know, bad thing. Yeah, it's, I mean, that story, that 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 story is like punk rock folklore, you know, at this point. every A lot of people talk about it, and they talk about it specifically uh, I always hear it in the context that the New York scene or the East Coast scene versus the West Coast scene a lot of the time. It was nothing like that. It was just, you know, one stupid act, and then I I could have just not did the second stupid act. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. So it's just uh, uh, being young and not thinking, you know, not thinking about what the consequences are. Right. You know? Man. You know, as an entertainer, you got a responsibility, you know. you got to go, okay, I'm not a punk, but if I go in there, you know, this is going to happen, and it might blow up. You know, there's too many people here, and people could get really hurt, you know, and you don't want that. Right. You know, we came here to, we came here to play the show. Not the, uh, no, I came here to play the show. You know? And I, I shouldn't have let that kid ruin it, 
to everybody else, you know? Right. And then me, you know, going along with it. You know, it's like two wrongs don't make a right, right? Right, <laughs> right. good point. That's what my dad would say. Absolutely. Yeah, that's my dad said. I mean, all that stuff, like John Wooden from UCLA, you know, prepare, you know, not not preparing is preparing to fail, you know, that's why I rehearsed. <laughs> I don't want to fail. <laughs> So what's what's next? What's next for the noise? You guys been to you been to Europe and back. You got this album. Well, it's... we're going back to Germany now. That's the next thing on on the, on the night. Like Germany, and we got a show on that. And then we do. I stay there till the twenty fourth. What 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 has to happen now in America? And I think the band to even survive is we got to break America. Like somehow we got to go to every town in every city and play there in the next year, you know, like, you know, America doesn't even know, but everywhere we go, when we play, people dig us. So I think it's a business thing now where we got to get an agent that books us, you know, with good bands or good shows or whatever, and just get us, you know, come on, give me 150 shows. I'll go to America, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. Are you guys? It's like, I got to go to work anyway. If you add up all the days you work, you know what? All right, let's just get on with the shows. Right? <laughs> Is there are are you guys thinking about are you going to do vinyl at any point? You're going to release the record on vinyl? Well, yeah, we made a, we we made a couple of forty fives to go, and, and that's about the thing. Uh, I'll mention that later. We made a forty five. We made a CD. We got a couple of shirts, and now you know you know America's the big nut, man. You know we we did some shows in L.A. and. uh you know, they, they weren't promoted the right way. And, they, you know, I need, I need to get a business decision out of New York to get me to Indiana, to get me to freaking, you know, Barstow, California. You know right, what I mean? Right. I, 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 I want to, and I want to do the same thing in Canada, you know, because these people are real appreciative too, and they're great, you know. We went up to Canada around Christmas with this band. Uh, we met them in Germany. Uh, White Cowbell, Oklahoma, is the band, right? And they play like they come on like like cowboys, but these guys like each guitar player is nasty. There's three guitar players, and all three of them are fucking nasty, you know. And they come on and they rock, you know. If we play the show up there with them, like five shows with them, so I want to go to more to Canada and America, and I want to go to. Britain and France, and I want to get my band to Australia and New Zealand, you know what I mean? I just feel like you got to go, you know, and go there, you know, or no one's going to hear you, you know, especially nowadays, it's weird. Like, I try to get on FUV, and I couldn't get on FUV, you know? Hmm. They say, you know, like, um, you know, in New York, it's like Fordham University, you know, like, by the Jesuits, and I'm like, that ain't free radio. Because if it was free radio, they would have played Easter first already. <laughs> right. Well, there's, I mean, there's an untapped, you know, an untapped market as far as like podcasting goes and streaming, online streaming, you know, music stations and things like that. Dude, there's there's a ton of different routes you can go that you don't have to be on FM radio and you don't have to be opening up for, you know, you know, some huge band, you know, to be able to get exposure. Listen. All you have to do is make a good record and people like it. You know, I hope that one song rock radio likes, you know? Bam. You know what I mean? Like one song, you know, just Ace the First, you know. I think Punk is one of the best songs on the record, you know. You know, and it's a little flippant, but I just dig it. It reminds me of the Bad Brains. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, the Bad Brains are incredible. I mean, if you can do anything. No, I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you right now, my musical progression was the beats and the stones, you know, and then everything. I had all the brothers and sisters, Simon Garfunkel, all that stuff, and then all the R&B stuff, you know, I, I just look at the color of the record and I knew it was temptation, whatever. And then it went to uh, The Who and Zeppelin, and then it went to the, you know, the punk rock, and it was like The Clash and The Jam, and, you know, all this guy, you know, anything that was happening, I dug it, you know, and, uh, then, you know, you know, it was like the fucking bad brains, you know. <laughs> they, they were in my progression, you know. I yeah. just thought they were fucking great, you know. That's it's, it's. I have I have buddies that listen to the bad brains. You know, the first album I bought was the Omega Sessions from them. And when I'm standing 
when I'm sailing <laughs> right I think I think the first Bad Brain song I heard I think it was Eye Against Eye I think that was the very first yeah. song that I ever heard I and I survive I and I survive <laughs> so and I we used to hang out with them me and Blood Buffer I gotta mention the both they're also a deck man but I think John's doing a new thing called Blood Plot right so I gotta give him a plug right off the bat and I and I wanna say this I don't want any of this interview or any of my interviews taking out of context, like little blurbs, you know. I want the world to know, like, yo, I'm all, I'm about love, you know, and life is short, man, you know. So, you know, I want to put love out to the world and positive, beautiful things, you know. Especially with Glenn and Jerry and the Misfits, I think they were great. Jerry's mother used to feed me. I thought Glenn was a freaking genius, and he was a really nice guy, and is a nice guy. And, you know, I was a stupid ass. And I was probably jealous of him, you know, because he was the singer, and I was the drummer. So there's a little bit of that in there, you know? Right. So, so now I'm putting it out there for the world. That's awesome, man. That's that's awesome. That's good karma. That's, that is absolutely good karma. Well, life's too short now to, to be making any bad karma, so. And I love everybody. All right. All right, man. That's thank awesome. you. Thanks. Thank you for calling in, man. Uh, thank you for being on the show, Arthur. It's uh, it's a big deal for All me. All right, and you can call me anytime, bro. I will, man. Thank you. Take a look to the endless sky and let your fear.